Father, we thank you that when we leave this place, it's really a promotion. And we pray for the family. We pray for um, just uh, the peace that passes understanding. We pray for our lives to, to remember well those who have gone before us and have lived among us that have demonstrated the faith in practical ways, uh, not only in faithfulness, but in graciousness and love and, and just a heart for uh, that which is most important. Uh, Father, we pray that you might um, just surround those who knew who are well and deeply with your love and um, your comfort. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're we're in a series that we began a few weeks ago in the book of Ephesians, which is really a book about riches with responsibilities to whom God has given uh, much. God wants us to deliver much to those around us. And so as we've been enriched, we are to enrich others. If we've been blessed, we are to bless others as well. But as we think about it, often we, we, we struggle with just living out the blessings that God gives us and really understanding what he has given us and putting them in, into to life experience. And I was uh, reading this past week. In fact, I, I remember reading this actually a number of years ago, a story told by Warren Wiersbe. It's not just a story, but it's actually a, an historical account of a man who had been blessed in this world materially, but somehow missed it often in enjoying what he had been given. And that's somewhat like us. Sometimes we, we forget to read the bank book that God has given us and in the, in the blessings found in, in, in Christ. But here, here is the, here's the story that was an account of what really happened. Uh, William uh, Randolph Hearst, uh, the renowned uh, newspaper publisher, many of you might, might have been to Hearst Castle. How many of you have ever been to Hearst Castle? I mean, that's a private collection of just amazing works of art and extravagance in so many different ways. Uh, but he invested a, a, a fortune uh, collecting art treasures from all over the world. But one day, Mr. Hearst found a, a description of some valuable items that he felt he must own. I mean, when you have a lot, you want a lot more. And so he began to see some, some pieces that he desperately wanted to enjoy in his own home or in his castle, his, his land filled with many buildings. And, and so he sent out one of his trusted men to go throughout the entire world to find where these art treasures were. Well, after a number of months of searching at great expense, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasures uh, that were... Um, so desperately desired by Mr. Hearst. And where were those particular treasures? They were in Mr. Hearst's warehouse. Hearst had been searching frantically for treasures he already owned, and he had simply read the catalog of his own treasures. He would have found what he was already blessed with. And obviously the connection is so obvious to us that when we somehow go through life and feeling something's missing, it's not that we don't have it, it's just we're not, <laughs> we're not aware that we already do have it. This morning I've entitled the message A Strategic Prayer, and we're going to get that into a mo- in a moment. But give me a little backdrop of the passage we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 1. And if you remember, we've already looked at one sentence that was a long sentence. It went from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Well, this morning, we're going to look at one other sentence. It's one prayer, uh, verses 15 through 23. Paul, when he got excited about things, like, like some people I know, he just starts talking faster and faster and faster. He started writing faster and faster. Didn't have the time to put down a period. But as Paul would write to people, often he would record his own prayers. 
And some of you are really good at journaling uh, or recording your prayers for God. If you do that, that's, that's an awesome discipline. And, and as he would write to those he cared about, he would actually write a prayer that was on his heart that he had prayed probably many times before to the people. And that was true particularly in the place where he was writing from. Uh, we have already mentioned that this book, this epistle that we are reading and studying and trying to put into our lives was written from prison. There are what they call four prison epistles, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And and, in those particular books, and I I would really encourage you to examine the prayers. If you want to improve your prayer life, then then look at the prayers of people who really did have a prayer life, uh, writers of the Old Testament and New Testament. But it's interesting, if you examine those prayers and those uh, four prison epistles, you'll, you'll find that that Paul never prays in a material way for those he's petitioning to God about. Never asks for something physical for them to have. And that might be something that doesn't totally surprise us in in a spiritual book. But what's interesting even more so, that what he prays for them about is never for something asking God to give them which they do not already have. He always asks them ask God to remind them of what they already do have and to experience it to its fullest. And so this morning, we're going to look at a strategic prayer. Strategic in that we ought to look at in terms of what is important to us and also what should be important for us for others as well. Sometimes, if I were to be perfectly honest, my prayer life is a little boring. I don't mean boring to me, but boring probably to, to God. Because I, I pray about things that are rather frivolous in nature, that, that don't really matter, that, that aren't that significant. And, and God does invite us to pray about anything and everything. And when I need a parking spot desperately, I pray for that. But, I mean, if that's all I pray about, how shallow am I? When I need to get through that, that light that I'm afraid is going to turn red, if that's all I pray about, how shallow is my experience with God? And really probably pretty boring to the, the, the king of this universe. And so often God would give us model prayers, and we, we're familiar with the model prayer as Jesus was responding to the question of the disciples, teach us how to pray. And the prayer can be memorized, but it's, the purpose is not to pray that in a rote way, our Father who art in heaven, but understand it's a template for us to pray in this way. And in your personal time with God, and I encourage you this summer, make it, make it a commitment to be faithful in reading through God's word and, and even sharing it with others this, in the family, in the home, with people you encounter, and then make further observations. But, but in that little booklet, every week we give you a, a strategic prayer. And there's an acronym, PRAY. When we go to God, we ought to, we ought to praise God for who He is. We acknowledge His presence and His, and His power and His might and His holiness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. But, but then we need to, in the R, we need, we, need to, we need to renew our commitment to the will of God and the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we ought to begin our day asking, God, I want to be kingdom-minded. I want you to rule and to reign. I want to do things that please you. And then the A, we ought to ask God for physical and spiritual needs. And there is a place where we ask God for the material. Um, and uh, that we ought to ask God for our daily bread. But also that we might have a heart of forgiveness, which is our spiritual needs. 
And then we ought to yield ourselves to God so we might not fall into temptation. There's another acronym that's popular in American Christianity. It's, it's, the, it's the word ACTS. Uh, another way to kind of to give your, your prayer life some, some depth or some order to it. A standing for adoration. C standing for confession, confession of sin. T standing for thanks, thanksgiving. And S standing for supplication, which is asking God for specific things. Well, well, this morning, I'm going to give you a third simple model of prayer that's found in a prayer prayed by the Apostle Paul to a group of people that he probably hadn't seen in four years. Uh, sometimes it's easier for us to pray for people that we, we know their urgent need of that day or that week. But, but how about people you haven't seen and maybe you haven't received a letter? I'm sure he hadn't talked, communicated by any social media with these people and probably hadn't even received snail mail from them other than some words of mouth from people who traveled from their location to to him in prison but he knew without even knowing what they needed to be prayed for and and i i would invite any and all of you to pray this prayer for me And, and if you ever Ever find yourself not having enough people to pray for? Just take the church directory and pray this prayer for the list of people that you see on those pages. This is what we desperately need people to pray for us about. If you have children, if you have grandchildren, if you have friends and family in any stretch of the imagination that you call people that you care about, pray this kind of prayer for them. Don't be like... William Hurst, who has all these treasures to not only for him to enjoy, but allow people to enjoy, but stick it away in a warehouse, forgotten and never uncovered for others to enjoy and experience. But before we do that, I just simply I want to say, well, sometimes when we think about prayer, we're thinking about people that are always in desperate physical need or desperate circumstantial need and and we're looking for the people who who are are in on life's uh, trauma to motivate us to prayer but let's pick up the introduction to his prayer and and if you've ever asked yourself well who should i pray for the list is 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 pretty inclusive in terms of people that you could pray for Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 70. Have your Bibles, open it. Many of the passages we have listed for you, um, but we'll uh, we'll allow you to look at it in your own text if you want to memorize or or you want to circle some verses. Paul begins uh, in this way in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 16. He says, Therefore also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my, what? prayers. Who did, who did Paul pray for? If you just took that passage, you would see it declared very simply just by way of observation. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, who did he pray for? He prayed for people who have faith in the Lord Jesus. Isn't that profound? <laughs> I mean, he, he looked at people who were in God's church, in God's family and said, if, if they have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a reason for me to pray for them. And, and, and why? <laughs> because their faith should increase. It, it should grow. And we're going to see that in a moment. Who should you pray for? Pray for people who have a faith in the Lord Jesus. But also he goes on and he says, and your love for all the saints. 
Who should you pray for? You ought to pray for people who have a love for all other Christians. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. Do you know any Christians who don't have a love for all other Christians? Raise your hand like you, you've lived your, in churches for more than one day. Okay? There is all kinds of relational issues in churches. And, and he says, I, I'm praying for you because right now that's not your pattern. Your pattern is not that you like everything that's going around, not that you like everything that happens in people's life, but you have a love for all the saints. That, who are the saints? Those who are people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as he begins to think about these people, he gets motivated. He gets excited. He starts writing fast like I'm talking fast. He says, I've got a reason to pray for you because you have a faith in the Lord Jesus. We have something in common. And just like my faith needs to grow, so does your faith need to grow. And I'm praying for you because I know you really have a love for people, God's people. And God's people are not always easy to love. But you have a love for, for all of God's people. And let me just throw this in for free. That, that, didn't, that didn't linger forever. Because in the book of Revelation, Paul, I mean, John rebukes the church through the inspiration of God's word to say, you have left your first what? Love. And so we need to be praying that, that God's people have a love for all Christians. Anybody want to say amen to that? I mean, that's what a, Christian, a church, that's what a church ought to be known for. It's faith and it's love. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have what for one another? Love for one another. So, so as he begins thinking about, do I have something to pray for these people about? And, and should I be motivated for, to pray for them? Yes, because they have a faith in the Lord Jesus and they have a love for all, all the saints. And then he said, just spontaneously, and I give thanks for all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you ought to pray for people who have a faith in the Lord Jesus. You ought to have a, a prayer, pray for people who have a love for all other Christians. And you ought to pray for people you thank God for. You ought to just thank God for the people in your life that make a difference. So that's a pretty inclusive list, isn't it? That there's so many people we have opportunity to pray for. But if you're like me sometimes, well, what, what should I pray for them about? And, and we have a habit within... Uh, small groups and in even settings like this sometimes we might even say okay does anybody have a prayer request or write down your prayer request and we have specific things to pray about and we ought to do that but if you look at the prayers in the new testament you don't have a lot of those specific items but you have requests that have so much fullness to them okay here's my message and then i'll give you some details what can you pray for each other about what can you pray for your children about what can you pray for your grandchildren about what can you pray for your spouses about what can you pray for your friends about what can you pray for people you you have a concern for you can pray three things for people you really have a heart for number one pray that they would understand god's plan for them pray that they would understand god's plan for them and we're going to look at that in a moment secondly and you can flip on the other side if you want. <laughs> you can pray, which simply is asking. Sometimes we use the word pray. What are we saying? We're asking. You can ask that they would experience God's power. Pray that people would understand God's plan and pray that they would experience God's power. And then thirdly, ask that they would be amazed with the character of God's person. 
Ask that they be amazed with the character of God's person. When our Christian life, and we see it in our own experience, or we see it in the lives of people we care about, and it, and it seems rather lukewarm, that it seems to be somewhat shallow or indifferent or apathetic. You know why that is? It's because we've lost the majesty of who Jesus is. It, it, it becomes, well, you know, this is just, this is just a churchianity or it's, it's a religion or it's a, it's, a, it's a way of life. It's rituals, it's rules and regulations. We've missed it. It's all about a person. And, and when we miss the majesty and when we miss that amazement, that reverence, of, that sense of awe of who Jesus is, we, we've missed it. And, and Paul prayed that for them. And he would pray that for us as well. So, so what should we pray for? And when we think about people we care about, pray that they understand God's plan. Pray that they would experience God's power. And pray that they would be amazed at the character of God's person. Now, we're just going to touch on what that could mean this morning. But would, would shake your head like this would be a powerful prayer to pray about people you care about. Let's look at it. Paul uh, goes on, and, and after he tells them why he's praying for them, because they have the love of the Lord Jesus, they have, they, they have the faith of the Lord Jesus, the love of, of all the saints, and he, he gives thanks for them because it's just his memories of them. Uh, he, he goes on and says this in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, Paul, Paul is poetic and he's very uh, deep and profound. And, and as I wrestle with sometimes the words he's using, I say, well, what's the point here? What, what are you really saying in, the, in this colorful language? Uh, well, let's dissect it for a moment. He says that, that God, he's speaking to God, he's asking if God may give to you the people he loved, uh, that he cared about, that he thanked God for, that had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. What is that? Well, even in our days, we know what wisdom is. Wisdom is a practical application of knowledge. It's, it's understanding how to live. If a person is wise, they make wise choices. They do things that, that are helpful rather than hurtful. They do things that, that lift people up rather than put them down. They don't do things that are destructive. They do things that, that are life-giving. It's living life to its fullest. Now, wouldn't you want to be a person like that? When you want to live life where you make good choices rather than bad choices? What is that? That's, that's simply God's will. Uh, sometimes we think of God's will as something that God is telling us to do what we don't want to do. And sometimes that is because we're selfish at that moment. But, but if we look and took a step back, God's will is always that which is wise. It's always that which is productive and helpful. And life fulfilling and, and, and living life to its max, maximum way it was created to be. He says, I'm praying that you get a spirit of wisdom, that, that you understand what God's will is all about. Uh, the word revelation. Now, the word revelation is sometimes used in a technical way, speaking to, to the, the words in this book. But the word revelation is simply a word to, be, to, to unveil something, to make something clear. And isn't it a great prayer to ask that, that, that people, that we would understand God's will clearly? That we would understand his agenda for our lives. 
And that was the first thing on his heart as he prayed for them. I pray that God gives you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might be, be uh, insightful. You want a different word for wisdom in terms of making decisions in life. And, and that you might uh, be clear, that you might have a revelation of, of what it's all about. But then you take a step back. Well, yeah, but how do I, how do I get this wisdom? How, how do I get this clarity in God's will? And he goes on, in the knowledge of him. We, we understand God's will when we understand and know God better. It's, as we know the heart of God, then we'll live out the heart of God. Doesn't that make sense? If you know somebody really well, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of thought for me to understand what Alice likes or doesn't like, all right? Because, you know, we've been living, in fact, this week, we get our 36th anniversary this week, okay? Is, but the reason I know what pleases her, because I know her heart. And that doesn't mean I always please her, <laughs> but I know what pleases her. And when we know God's heart, then we'll know the will of that person. And we'll know the will of God. And that's often why that became so popular, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? As we understand Jesus, then we understand God's will. Well, how do we understand what Jesus would do? And that's what we're going to get at in a moment. It's not by, by some mystical experience, but it's understanding what Jesus did before we understand what Jesus would do. It's understanding God's word. In your outline, I put it this way. What does it mean to, to really understand God's plan? It's to know God deeply and obey God faithfully. In the knowledge of him. It's interesting in scripture. And the Bible talks about knowing, knowing God in, in three different ways. First of all, when you encounter him for the very first time, it's knowing God personally. And we talked about that last week. And, and I want to share that over and over and over. How do we know God personally? It's meeting God on his own terms. It's, it's admitting our need, turning from our sin. It's believing that Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sins and rose again. It's committing to follow Jesus, Lord God and Savior. It's when we give our life to Jesus, then, then, we, then we can know God personally. It's, it's being introduced to someone and then engaging in a relationship. And any friendship, any relationship begins with that, that encounter where there's a commitment to, I want to know you and I know you want to know me. But it doesn't stop there. It's, it's not simply a casual relationship with God. We know God personally, but then we need to know God progressively. And that's, that's the challenge of the Christian life. That, that, that's not only a challenge, it's the privilege of the Christian life. It's to know the, the, the most significant, amazing person in this entire world and to know him well. And to think that he wants to know us. In fact, he does know us well and still wants us to know him. That said so many different ways in Scripture. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that he said, I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Paul, you already know Jesus. He said, no, I know Jesus, but I want to really know Jesus. And so we know God not only personally, but we know God progressively. In 2 Peter three eighteen, Peter put it this way, that, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think he, he put grace in there because you realize where it says in other scriptures, and Paul wrote, writes in Corinthians that if it's just knowledge, knowledge can puff, puff up or knowledge can make us proud. He, he's not just saying an intellectual connection with the, the data concerning God. But I want you to know him intimately. And, and because of that, you're going to grow not only in awareness and understanding, but graciousness. 
that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's God's will. And a strategic prayer is, is praying that for others. And you know what happens when you pray that kind of prayer for others? You can't help to somehow what? Pray that for yourself. I, I pray that you might, you might really understand God's plan for you. And what is God's plan? It's, it's God's will. And what is God's will? Is that you might live a life of wisdom. Ephesians 5 says that, that we should stop being foolish in our minds, but understand that to be filled with spirit and, and to walk a walk of wisdom. And understand that when we do that, then that we not only know, but then we do it. We obey it. Jesus said this, he, uh, he who knows me is he who keeps my commandments. And when you love me and keep my commandments, I will disclose myself to you. John 14, 21. We know God personally. We know God progressively. And there's going to come a time we'll know God perfectly. We will fall short you know, on this side of eternity. And so, so we need to understand that God understands that. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that, that we know in part, uh, but we will know fully in the future. But, but God wants us to know his plan, which is to know God deeply and obey God faithfully. But he goes on in this particular section, which is some amazing statements. He says in verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And I think he throws that in. He could have just left it there, but he says, I, I want to motivate you again a little bit. Memory started this whole chapter, this whole book with all the blessings that we have. You know, why would you want to know God deeply? Well, one is we just should know God deeply, but sometimes we aren't motivated that way. But what, what is in it for me? Well, if you want to be selfish for a moment, is, is you'll experience the hope of your calling and, you, and you'll understand the riches that are found in Christ Jesus. You'll understand that, that abundance of life is found in him. And so knowing God's plan is knowing that there is anything better than this. This is life's great pursuit to know God's plan. And we talked about being designed. You don't have to be a copycat of anybody else. It's not comparing what you know about God to somebody else, but knowing as much as you can about God and responding as faithfully and obediently as you can with God. And then the depth of your relationship will result in understanding the hope of his calling and the riches of his inheritance. Now, again, that might sound just a little bit too religious, so let me break that down just for a moment. What he's saying here and what I have in your outline this moment, uh, this morning is know God's calling and live life confidently. He, he says that he prays that they would know what is the hope of his calling, his calling into your life. And as you understand his calling, you understand there's hope to it. Now, I'm going to look at the hope secondly, but let's look at calling for a moment. Part of what gives enthusiasm about life is seeing the significance of our life. If we somehow look at our lives and think somehow it really doesn't matter, you know, what do we have to offer? Well, our... If we were to be somehow gone, would anybody miss us, right? Okay. And he's saying, I want you to understand that your life matters. Your life matters to God. 
He, he, has, he has called you into relationship with Him. He has something for you to do. We are His workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do the things He has planned for us to do. We have a high calling. And if we were to take the time, we, we could look through the Scripture and, and talk about how He describes that calling. It's, it's a calling of grace, uh, which is simply a calling which God gives us much more than we deserve. It's a, it's a holy calling. So our lives ought to live in such a way that people can say, hey, our lives are different. They are unique and special because we are to honor the one who has brought us into relationship. We live on a, on a different plane now, not because we're better than anybody. It's because God has, has made us significant because he's called us into relationship to him. He is, in 1 Peter 2, 9, says he has brought us out of the, the calling of darkness into a calling of light. So, so we have significance. And it, it's a rich significance. So we need to know that God, God makes our lives matter. But because of that, we have hope. And hope is not wishful thinking. It's not um, thinking about something happening when we're not really sure it's going to happen. It's knowing it's going to happen. And so that's when we know God's calling for our life. We can live life confidently. Not thinking somehow we're, we're going to fail. M- many people go through life thinking that's all that's going to happen. They're somehow going to mess up again. You need to, you got great hope. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. You are going to end up on the other side. And, and through this journey, when we do t- fail at times, God is saying, look, at, I'm, I'm not through with you yet. For I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, complete it until that day where he returns again. And so we we should be in every day just remembering that God's called me. He's brought me into a relationship. It's a special relationship. It's holy. It's gracious. It's filled with light, not darkness. It has significance. It's a high calling, a holy calling. And because I have this in my life, I can live life with hope, with confidence, that it's going to work out. So how, how should we pray for one another? We ought to pray that we would understand God's plan. God's will. God's work in our lives to live in such a way that our lives make a difference. But he doesn't leave it there because, again, they're probably wrestling. Well, I don't think I can do it. That's that's too much to to ask that I would live according to God's plan in my life. I would follow his will. I would be obedient to his word, that I would do the things he's told me to do for his sake and also for the richness of my life. I'll drop the ball. So then he goes on and prays this beginning at verse 19. And, And what is the. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? And he's asking again the context of this. He says, I'm asking this, that they would understand the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, depending upon your translation, you have some words that speak about the power of God. And he uses different words. In verse 19, it says, what does he see in greatness of his power? The next verse says, according to the working, which is actually another word that could be translated power, of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. There are actually four words here in the original language for the word power. 
And if someone were to say, okay, there's something I'm asking. I'm not asking that you would experience power. 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 Four times you're thinking, can't you say something else? But that's what he's saying here. In just a couple of verses, he says, I want you to understand power, 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 power. This is, this is what God is giving to you. He uses four different words with just slightly different nuances of the word, asking that you might experience this. That one word is a word from which we use in our own language. It's the word dunamis from which, word which we get dynamite. He says, I want you to understand the, the dynamite capacity you have because you're connected to God. You, you, you don't have a little, little uh, you know, uh, July 4th, little small uh, thing that you light and it's going to make a little fizzle to it. Okay? You've got to stick a dynamite here. And when you light that puppy off, it's going to make a big noise and a big mess if it's not put in the right place. You've got dynamite from God. And then he goes on and he uses another word, kratos, which has the idea of, again, strength. Uh, and it has the idea of saying, I understand when you experience opposition, whether it's a personal opposition from other people or circumstantially you have things coming against you, I want you to understand that you have kratos. You have the ability to have overcoming power to handle and resist the opposition that you might have. And then he said, some of you are tired. Anybody ever get tired out there? Anybody get tired? Okay. Um, some of you are saying, I'm... I'm tired, okay? I understand I got, the, I got this opposing strength reservoir within me and I've got this dynamite power, but I'm just t- I don't, I don't want to get out of bed today. And he uses the word energia, which is the word from which we get energy, which is the kinetic power. And, and when, when you feel like you, you don't have that energy to make that next decision or, or make that next step or talk to that person or do that task or be involved in that ministry, whatever it might be, or give more of a listening ear to a person you, at that time you don't want to listen to. He says, look, at you've got exceeding energy beyond than you're aware of. Because God is at work, you both the will and the work to be energized for his good pleasure. And then he uses the word iskthas, which is another word which has the idea of sustaining strength. I think we've all experienced energies or powers, or, or opposing ability to handle, handle resistance. But we're wondering, well, when is this going to run dry? When, when is the tank going to be empty? And I, I've shared before, in a, I've had my tank run empty when I've been driving. Shamelessly, more than once, all right? And that, I have to admit, I did pray for that tank to go a little bit further, right? And, and you just want, okay, I, I, just, I just can't keep doing this. And I know for many of you, that's where you're at. You're saying, I, this challenge I'm in, I'm, I'm living with. I, I don't think it's going, going to change. And I, do I have the strength, ability, power to, to keep going through this? I, I think we all are much better at trials that have a timetable attached to it. Okay, it's going to last a week. It's going to last a month. It's going to last four months. And, and some of you have had cancer treatments where it was supposed to la- last a certain period of time, and then there was a relapse. And you're saying, I had the power to go through the first time. Do I have a power to go through it the second time? And see, that's, that's what Paul's praying for them. 
Might you understand this power? Might you experience it? Interesting, if you look at the word um, power, it's used in Scripture in a number of different ways. In Acts 1.8, it's the power to witness. And that is to, to, to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ and share that truth, that relationship with others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it's, it's the power to go through suffering. And say, God, I'd rather not have that power. I just assume not have to go through suffering. Just eliminate that from my life. But, but God allows suffering. And suffering is more than just physical pain. It can be other suffering as well. And God uses that to shape and to mold us. And that's a whole other message and why God allows suffering. But God allows suffering because in some ways that's the only way we would learn. Have any of you ever learned the hard way out there? And you didn't have to, but you, you did because you didn't learn it the other way. And a good God allows us to go through suffering because the lessons learned are more important than the suffering and the pain that we experience. So God allows us to have the power to witness, but the power to, to suffer. Philippians 2, 13, it talks we have the power to please God. And there are, there are times, man, I seem like I can't ever do it right. I can't, I, all I do is mess up. and say, no, I'm, I want you to understand that you, you do have the energy to do things that will please me. Sometimes you don't recognize when you do things that do please me, but I will give you the ability to please me. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, has the idea we have the power to do as well. And there are times, let's be honest, that there are things in God's word that we readily run to and say, I, I'm all in. I, I believe it. I, that's how I think. That's what, I, that's what I'm committed to. And then other times we will read sections of scripture for us or for others and saying, God, can't we change this? Maybe our culture is changing. Not only the t- culture out there, maybe the culture in here, the church, and they have a different view of what was right or wrong and can't we just change that? And, and commitment to God's will is commitment to God's will when at, at that any time moment, we, we, don't want to, we don't want to buy in because of someone else that we care about or because of maybe a lifestyle decision we have made. And God is saying, no, this is, this is, this is holy and this is righteous and this is true. And I'm giving it to you for your sake even though at this moment you don't feel like following me. So what can we pray for each other about? A strategic prayer. Pray that we would understand God's plan and secondly, that we would experience God's power to go through all of life in a way that we will live life to its fullest but also show God in His fullness as well. And then thirdly, Ask that we would be amazed with the character of God's person. In verse 21, we'll start there, then we'll go through 23, though I, in your outline, I put it a little bit differently. He's talking about the power of God, and there's no greater power, obviously, than the resurrection power. But then he goes on, verse 21, and, and starts kind of talking about Jesus. This power, this one who raised Jesus from the dead, verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he, in reference to Jesus, put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, again, Paul, Paul uses all these words together, and they, they, they seem so lofty. You go, what in the world are you talking about? 
Well, it doesn't take much to conclude who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. Okay, but what's, what's the point? Why are you saying he, he's above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named? Because he wants to understand that, that God's plan and God's power is always connected to his person. And this person is Jesus. And this person we follow, we follow someone that is so amazing. There is no one like him. There is no name above this name. And not only in the, in the things in this universe that we can see, but the things that we cannot see. The whole idea of principality and power and might and dominion, these are actually words used in the Scripture to speak about the hidden principalities of the not only the heavenly places, but the things beneath this earth. The principalities of the evil one, Satan. And you can say power or significance in people who do evil or people who do good. And God is saying, I want you to understand that in any angelic being, that Jesus is so far above all that you can imagine. I was thinking right before I came up. Turn your Bibles real quickly to Matthew chapter 7. Because sometimes that's a little lofty. Well, you know, he is so much more powerful than any angelic being or any other being that's in this universe. Because he's the creator of every uh, being and creature in this universe. But it was amazing that when Jesus was here, and even we, as we experience him after he's left and he's coming again, uh, when, when Jesus spoke, uh, and we get a chance to read what he spoke, people were just filled with amazement. Look at Matthew chapter 7, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he goes on, verse 28. And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings, when he, when he quit preaching his sermon that day, that the people were, what? Astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as a scribe. They were simply amazed, not at the miracle-working power of Jesus at that moment, but this is the character of Jesus. There is no one who's ever said those things and said them with such authority that we, we were cut to the heart. I mean, he's not only speaking for God, he, he sounds like he is God speaking to us. All the learned men, and, and that's the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the high priests, that was their specialty. That's what they were good at, was speaking and teaching and trying to communicate how profound the things they were saying were to people who were trying to grab a truth about God. But when Jesus spoke, they were astonished. They were amazed. This is, this is the heart passion for all those who, who have come to that place where they've given their life to Jesus, that we would be amazed. At Jesus, at what he says, and the authority has to say it into our lives. He concludes this section, he said, I want you to understand that Jesus is the head of the body. This speaks about our connection to him. Let me ask you, and of course, the analogy will break down to a certain degree because God doesn't need us. But God has chosen to be in relationship to us. And so, this is why these images are used in Scripture. How significant is a head without a body? 
There's no significance. How significant is a shepherd? I don't care if you're the greatest shepherd in the entire universe, the entire world. If you're a great shepherd and have no sheep, how important is that? There's no importance. How, how about if, you, if, you, if you're an awesome leader, but if you don't have any followers, how good is that? How, how significant is that? And so what he, he says to us, I want you to understand in this relationship of understanding the amazing person that God is. is he has he entered into a contract relationship with his people. That the shepherd came to have sheep. That the leader came to have followers. That the head came to have a body. That the bridegroom came to have a bride. So what's the so what this morning? Simple one. Who are you praying for? And who is praying for you? And if we were to add something to that statement, and what are you praying for them about? Might we ask God that people would understand his plan? Might we ask God that people, his people would experience his power? It's there. And then thirdly, that we would ask that we would be amazed at his person. Let's pray. Father, we would, we would pray this morning for anyone here this morning that, that is still on the outside looking in, that they have, they have never come to, to know you personally. And if they don't know you personally, they can't understand and know you progressively or perfectly. And might they decide today to make that step of embracing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior by inviting him in to forgive them of their sins and make them a new person on the inside. And then, Father, for, for us who know you, might, might we have our prayers radically changed for our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our, our, our fellow believers in God's church, for people we care about. In the midst of the specific things we pray for, might we also pray that we would be a people committed to your plan, experiencing your power, and amazed at the person who Christ is. Now, as we continue to worship and as we give unto you, might, might your name be praised. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.